and the accounts yesterday. That shows, just like the Big Red Bench, that they are 55 million euro in debt. We'll be discussing that a little bit later on uh, with Gavin Cooney of the 42.ee. And we'll also discuss it with uh, Neil Horgan, the uh, former Cork City player, who will be along to discuss his new book as well. Uh, we're also going to keep you up to date on everything that's happened today. Manchester United have just gone 2-0 up away to Manchester City. We'll get your match report on that in a little bit. We'll have plenty more besides you listening to the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. here with you until 7pm this evening if you'd like to get in touch I'd love to hear your thoughts on the FBI and what's gone on and the staggering on to death that was revealed yesterday in that press conference 55 million quid let me know what you think 086 by text or whatsapp or tweet us as well at Big Red Bench Manchester United as I said tune it up on Manchester City in the evening Premier League game in that Manchester derby and fully deserved it has to be said as well uh, they've been the better team by far in the opening half and our Marcus Rashford uh, putting the Red Devils ahead thanks to a penalty that was given after a VAR and Anthony Martial has just added United second there so United looking very very well there indeed elsewhere today in the uh, early kickoffs in the 3pm kickoffs I should say Liverpool going 11 points clear at the top of the table with a win away to Bournemouth Peter Hood Bournemouth nil, Liverpool 3 the Merseyside juggernaut that is Liverpool rolls on with another comprehensive victory the unbeaten run now stretched to 33 thanks to goals from Oxley chamberlain Keita and Salah in the space of 20 minutes either side of half time they were always in control were the visitors their goalkeeper had little to do throughout and even though they lost Lovren to injury and so did uh, Bournemouth they were hindered more by the loss of Ake it finished Bournemouth nil. Liverpool 3 So 11 points clear now at the top of the table for the Reds it's their club record unbeaten run now it's up to 33 top flight games uh, manager Jurgen Klopp happy enough we scored wonderful goals we um, really had other big chances and the result is obviously most important but the performance was really good as well it was in the second half especially really really professional really mature that's what we have to be in the moment they're looking very good, aren't they, Liverpool? Um, winning games, winning well like they did today. Um, certainly has the look of Premier League champions, but a very, very early days. It's still in December, obviously. But the Reds certainly looking very, very good, very, very solid, very, very confident, very, very composed as they go in search of their first league title in 30, 30 years. All right, Troy Parrott making his debut for Tottenham today as a second half substitute, Andrew Cheel. Tottenham 5, Burnley 0. Spurs roared into a 2 0 lead inside nine minutes. Harry Kane from 25 yards and Lucas Moura a two-yard tap-in. Son with a 70-yard Olympic sprint and a cool finish made it three at the break. Son was unstoppable all game. Kane crashed in number four from 18 yards, then set up Shizoka for number five. Brady did head against the bar for Burnley in the first half, but Spurs were rampant throughout. Spurs five, Burnley nil. There was a lovely moment at the end of that game where uh, Jose Mourinho got the match ball and gave it to Troy Parrott. Um, he's made a point of making it, given to him as a memento as his first Premier League game. Certainly... Who looks like hopefully that uh, Jose sees uh, Troy Parrott as a Tottenham player, Tottenham star for the future as we all are very, very well, uh, well aware of his potential. So a nice little touch from Jose just to give the match ball on his Premier League debut today and a nice win as well uh, for Spurs after they bounce back from that defeat to Manchester United earlier on in the week. Uh, Watford and Palace playing out in an all draw today at Mike Lawrence. Watford nil, Crystal Palace nil, Watford caretaker manager Hayden Mullins hands over the reins to Nigel Pearson having picked up a valuable point and kept a rare clean sheet against his former club. Roy Hodgson's injury ravaged Palace side just couldn't find a way to break down the Watford defence in a bad tempered game between these two old rivals but with little in the way of quality. Watford looked most likely to score but Delafeo and Saar both missed golden chances. Watford nil, Crystal Palace nil. And... Everton are back to winning ways in Duncan Ferguson's first game in temporary charge. They beat Chelsea in the early kickoff today. Shane Pennington. 
Everton 3, Chelsea 1 and Duncan Ferguson gets off to the perfect start then as Everton manager after his side produced a terrific display to see off Chelsea. Richarlison headed them in front after five minutes and it was two when Dominic Calvert-Lewin slotted home after Zuma sliced the clearance. Matteo Kovacic volleyed home from 25 yards to get Chelsea back in it but Calvert-Lewin second of the game after more poor Chelsea defending killed the game off and moved Everton out of the bottom three. Everton 3, Chelsea 1. And boy, oh boy, did Duncan Ferguson celebrate each and every one of those goals, picking up all the boys that were in the celebrate with them. Great to see. And uh, good to see everything back to winning ways as well. No surprise that Marco Silva was sacked given their current run or the, the run previous to that, but that was a much needed much needed win uh, for Everton today so that sees them up to 14th place two points clear of the relegation zone a number of teams though have uh, yet to play below them and uh, Liverpool as we mentioned 11 points clear at the top of the Premier League table elsewhere today in the Munster Senior League College Corinthians and UCC finished scoreless earlier on this afternoon uh, Rugby Munster back in Champions Cup action this evening they are hosting Saracens at uh, Toman Park and uh, the Reds are leading by 8 points to nil they've just gotten a try JJ Hanrahan uh, with the uh, penalty uh, for the Reds to open the scoring we reached that try score in a bit but uh, Munster uh, captain it's the captain actually Peter O'Mahony uh, he goes over the line on the half hour mark so fantastic let's see uh, the Reds ahead there uh, against the, the reigning European champions at Tomond Park. Elsewhere, last gasp, John Cooney penalty solves to fight back from nine points down to beat Harlequins 25 points to 24 this afternoon. Leinster scored seven tries in their way to a bonus point win over Northampton in Pool 1 today. A four second half tries helping Leo Collins side secure the win after they led 19-16 at half time. Though concerns about Johnny Sexton who was forced off through injury early in the second half. Collins says the extent of the damage will be assessed in the coming days. Johnny's taking a bang to the knees so again we'll get assessed either if he gets scanned either tomorrow or on Monday so um, see what that says. Um, he's in a little bit of discomfort there so um, doesn't look fantastic for next week but we'll see how much damage he has done to himself. Munster have added the conversion there so they are now leading Saracens at 10 points to nil just over half an hour gone there at Tumund Park in basketball today in the Women's Super League Father Matthews hosting Colester that game is uh, underway so we'll get your score on that one in just a bit elsewhere Super Value Singleton Super Value Brunel going to WIT Wildcats 7 o'clock is the tip off time for that one uh, half time actually in that game Father Matthews leading Colester 33 points to 13 the men's Super League Collins CNS Neptune visiting Trilly Warriors at half past seven in the Premier 1 under 21 Hurling Championship quarter final Sarsfield's beating Douglas today 122 to 7 points elsewhere Kilaitas are taking on Blackrock and the latest score uh, we have from there that game being played on the 4G pitch in Porky Cuevas the Rockies with a comfortable lead after nine minutes they lead 2-4 to three points nine minutes uh, gone on the clock there Paul Galvin's reign as Wexford and football manager meanwhile off to a losing start Defending champions Westmeath beating the Kerry native side 111 to 11 points in the Board Nimona O'Byrne Cup today. Jack O'Connor's first game in charge of Kildare also ending in defeat. Longford overcoming the Lily Whites 214 to 14 points at St. Conlet's Park. And in today's other games, Carlow beating Wicklow 2528 points and Offaly getting the better of Leash two, by two points on a scoreline of 117. 2-12 Racing defied to Sae won the grade 1 Tingle Creek at Sand down the William Mullins trend in Disco of course with all those core connections uh, was in second His Nuker Ding John Wei is into the UK Championship final he's beaten his compatriot Yan Bing Tao 6-2 in York today Ding will now face Northern Ireland's Mark Allen or the Scots Stephen Maguire in tomorrow's best of 19 final they get underway later on this evening in swimming Mona McSharry's missed out on the medal in the 100 metres breaststroke at the European Short Course Championships the Sligo swimmer finishing fourth in the final in Glasgow earlier on today now a massive night for Kildare native Dennis Hogan as well as he goes in search of a world title he faces WBC middleweight champion Jamel Charlo at the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn tonight very very best of luck indeed to Dennis Hogan that fight headlining a card with uh, Chris Eubank Jr also in action he takes on Matt Korobov and of course Saudi Arabia the uh, controversial venue for the rematch of Andy Ruiz Jr and Anthony Joshua Ruiz shocking the world in June and he stopped Joshua to claim the WBA, IBF and WBO heavyweight titles. It's actually raining in uh, Saudi Arabia ahead of that. So hopefully it'll clear up by the time they get into the ring at about quarter to nine tonight. Now, they had their weigh-ins yesterday. And there is a little bit of a weight difference as Ruiz Jr. weighed in over three stone heavier 
Josh was slimming down, uh, looking a bit thinner, a bit leaner, uh, as he uh, wants to get speed and uh, uh, back into his game and uh, maybe sacrifice a little power in doing so. But he reckons the weight difference just won't matter tomorrow. They should make a super heavyweight division. Do you know what I mean? Because it is that much of a vast difference. But the art of the game is to hit and not get hit and avoid them punches. You know, imagine being free stone heavy and everyone says how fast he is. I'll definitely be beating him to the punch tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to that fight tonight. So at about quarter to nine is, I think, the uh, the walk-ins today. Uh, but uh, Ruiz Jr. weighing in at 20 stone, 3 pounds. 3 stone heavier than his opponent, 16 stone, 13 more than 3 stone, actually. Um, so he's one of the, uh, the heaviest heavyweights of all time, Ruiz Jr. Looking forward to that fight, though. And as I said, quarter to nine in Saudi Arabia is uh, I think is the scheduled time uh, for the walkouts tonight alright Manchester United still 2-0 up on Manchester City 40 minutes now gone on the clock at the Etihad Stadium we get a report from Darren Stanich Manchester City nil, Manchester United 2 the visitors thoroughly deserving their lead they uh, took the lead on 19 minutes Marcus Rashford fell in the box the referee didn't give it but VAR awarded a penalty Rashford converted for 1-0 uh, Rashford had a great chance after a wonderful United counter to make it 2 but he fluffed it after a great ball from Fred but on 28 minutes Anthony Martial steered the ball home after some good interchange with Daniel James the Etihad pretty stunned at the moment City nil, United 2 and uh, yeah as uh, Darren mentioned there you know it's certainly good value for that win or that lead I should say getting a bit ahead of myself there for that lead uh, today alright we're going to start by talking about obviously the story everyone's talking about the FBI um, announcing yesterday they have liabilities exceeding 55 million euro. They're looking to remortgage their debt in the Aviva Stadium until 2034. Following the publication of their 2018 accounts yesterday, not good news anywhere. Dark, dark day in the history of Irish football. Um, the paper is going to town on it today. Um, we were talking to Gavin Cooney about this in just uh, a little bit, but one of the darkest days in the history of football in this country. Now, one of the headlines, uh, former Chief Executive John Delaney receiving a severance package of €462,000 in September and the termination of Martin O'Neill and Joaquin's contract cost the association a total of €1.9 million. Euro. The account auditors delight are unable to state that the FBI remains a going concern so dark dark days indeed um, the knock on effects it's going to have for football in this country and we can only guess uh, but it's not going to make uh, for, uh, for pleasant reading in the papers uh, over the next while really really bad news yesterday uh, the FAR President Donald Conway meanwhile announcing he's going to be standing down from his position at an EGM next month. Conway still believes the FBI has a future in its current guise. And I would see us going forward. I do believe this is the most significant sport in the world. We're responsible for that sport in this country. Our national teams are a huge, valuable property. I would see us being able to push forward from here on. Rather worryingly, um, as we mentioned, the liability stand at €55 million. Euro, that's about €30 million in bank debt as well, uh, includes that. Um, executive leader of the association, Paul Cook, says the ongoing investigations may unveil further liabilities. I think, as I said, today is a day we're drawing a line under it. We're moving forward. As far as you know, everything I can see is in those accounts. Now, obviously, again, with one caveat... I've mentioned there's investigations going on. They might throw up other liabilities. But other than that, we are very comfortable that those figures represent the true position. Uh, the Minister for Sport, Shane Ross, as he, say, he says the accounts are pretty horrifying and very scary. And he says he's surprised at how bad the situation has become for the body. Well, I think the figures that we come out and a figure, debt figure of 55 million is pretty horrifying and very scary and a, a terrible reflection of the state of affairs that the FAI is in. Uh, I'm surprised. I've heard some pretty awful stories, but I didn't think it was as bad as that. Uh, Robbie Butler is an economics lecturer at UCC and he says securing new sponsorship is uh, sponsorships is vital for the FAI's very survival. I think replacing them and replacing them with a sponsorship that agreement that's going to be of similar standing is, is very, very important. I think the other thing that's crucially important is convincing the government that um, they can reinstate the what, nearly €3 million Euros that goes towards grassroots football. Uh, in the grander scheme of things, when you're turning over 40, 45 million, you know, it's, it, it isn't as significant as um, 
some might might believe, but it is a significant amount of money, particularly when you're losing eight, nine million a year. As we mentioned, uh, one of the big headlines was um, Delaney's settlement, €462,000, the former CEO resigning from his role in September before the delivery of the KOSI report into the FAI's finances. Um, questions, of course, raised with the timing of his exit. Uh, but Professional Football Association of Ireland's solicitor Stuart Gilhoody um, says their decision to get rid of John Delaney when they did was a wise one and uh, the figure of €462,000 could have been a lot more. He had this agreement with certain board members with the remuneration committee where he would be entitled to this €3 million bonus in 2021. And his argument would have been all along, look, that's my entitlement. I have a claim here for €3 million. If he got sacked, which he would have been sacked, he would have brought a legal claim. There would have been costs associated with that. There would have been a possibility that if he won that he... He could have been entitled to three million. I think getting out of four hundred sixty-two thousand. I know it seems unpalatable to people. It probably wasn't the worst deal in the world. Not the worst deal in the world. Four hundred sixty-two thousand euro is what John Delaney um, left the association with uh, as part of his settlement. Now, for more on it, I spoke to the Fortitude.ie's uh, Gavin Cooney earlier on today. Gavin's been doing some fantastic uh, reporting uh, on the uh, whole FAI affair over the past couple of months. So check him out on the fortitude.ie. He's had a fantastic article uh, in today's um, in, in the uh, the fortitude.ie today uh, which says that years of grievance management exposed and it leaves Irish football looking at a lost generation. Uh, Gavin's certainly pulling no punches and I spoke to him earlier on today. A sensational day yesterday. Gavin, my jaw dropped open several times yesterday reading the accounts. What was your reaction? Yeah, it was, I think it was similar for all of the journalists in the room. They needed to employ FAI staff just to come in and scoop our jaws up the floor every now and again. It was, we were, um, we were warned that it was going to be bad. Paul Cook, the vice president and now the interim executive lead had said a couple of months ago that the figures will cause shock. I think they caused more shock. Uh, than was anticipated. Uh, the top line figures, I suppose, is the fact that the Football Association of Ireland has now net liabilities of 55 million euro and in the middle of all that had to pay off the former CEO and former executive vice president, let's be denying that title, John Delaney, a, a settlement of 462,000 euro. Um, I just to go through with some of the uh, other things that sums up the absolute shambles that the FAI has become. Uh, their top sponsor, three, they pulled out, uh, well, they Sorry, they won't be renewing their contract next year. There is currently no state funding going to the FAI. Uh, the stadium that we were told by John Delaney could have been debt-free by 2020, well, that's now got a 15-year mortgage on it, so realign that little soundbite to debt-free by 2034. And it might even be stadium-free by 2020 because the FAI board have discussed the possibility of selling their 50% stake um, in the Aviva Stadium. Now, they've discussed that at board level. It is, however, unlikely to happen because uh, the uh, now outgoing President Donald Conway said that uh, it's a complicated situation and it might not even be possible to sell uh, their stake in the uh, stadium. Just a couple more blizzard of figures before I let everyone come up for air. Um, the FAI, are, because they're a sporting body, they're exempt from corporation tax, yet because they've been found uh, with the significant underpayment of employment taxes and VAT liabilities, they've made a voluntary disclosure of €2.7 million euro to the revenue, which the revenue has yet to properly uh, accept. Um, the, uh, the accounts that previously showed surpluses have now been adjusted and they now show losses. For example, the 2017 accounts showed that uh, the FAI turned a €2.75 million euro, uh, surplus well, when that's adjusted to include figures, which includes John Delaney's remuneration, that actually reads 2.9 million euro deficit. And the, the uh, FAI is still under investigation from the Office for the Director of Corporate Enforcement, um, and they are now currently they're now negotiating a finance package with their bank in order to stay afloat. They're reliant on early drawdowns from UEFA to stay afloat, and their auditors Deloitte would uh, refuse to sign off and agree that the FAI are a going concern. So, uh, it's, yeah, taking a breath after hearing those figures is right, Gavin. Uh, how did it get to this stage? I mean, like, this seems like it was kind of swept under the carpet over the last couple of years. I'm sure everything is grand. Everything is grand. Yeah, uh, I think there was not enough. There was clearly not enough uh, oversight in the FBI and criticism for in the last few years of John Delaney's tenure as chief executive. Um, criticism was pretty ruthlessly shut down. I mean, Paul Cook, uh, who will have, who most of the country will know now because he was front and centre yesterday. He was actually a critical voice during the uh, during the Delaney years, particularly around the financing of the Aviva Stadium uh, and the loan repayments. 
and he asked the question from the floor uh, of an AGM in 2009, and that became the last question that was asked for, um, by anyone from the floor until this year. Um, and eight, um, post, uh, post-AGM press conferences ended a couple of years ago. So there, there wasn't enough criticism, there wasn't enough um, analysis of the accounts in particular. I know uh, plenty of council members have been... Uh, can reflect now that they were they were they spent too long in the last few years as nodding dogs. They will point to the fact that well the accounts weren't uh, weren't as stark as they are today, and that's a fair criticism. Uh, now uh, that that may shed, uh, may put a bit a little bit of scrutiny on the auditors Deloitte. Uh, what they have said they have filed a H four notice to say that proper books of accounts had not been kept. So uh, perhaps that they were not fully informed uh, or informed to the level that perhaps they should have been. Um, the big question, I suppose, in everyone's lips now, Gavin, is what impact is this going to have on the FBI Irish football as a whole, basically? Well, I mean, the uh, details on that were not forthcoming yesterday. I think uh, take it take it as a general rule that those who des- uh, those who um, deserve to suffer the least will uh, suffer the most. Uh, there will be, uh, Paul Cook has said, there will be consequences of this, uh, and for consequences, read job losses. The exact now, where those job losses will be, we haven't been told yet. Paul Cook very fair and said that we will tell the staff that first rather than tell the media, which I think is entirely fair. But, it's, I mean, it will hit grassroots programmes. I mean, it's, there's no way in which it doesn't hit grassroots programmes. And I think if you just cast your mind a little bit into the future, and uh, when we're living in, um, in years to come, when kids are playing Gaelic football and hurling rather than soccer, when you know when the, the rugby team are getting far more sponsors and media attention than the soccer team, when the women's team have failed to keep pace with a massively growing sport, when the men's team are now losing these games in Georgia and not qualifying for European championships, which will surely be about sixty teams or forty-eight team tournaments by then, uh, and and you're looking for the reasons why all that is happening in the future. Look back and open these 2018 FAI accounts. Uh, it was an appalling day for Irish football yesterday. It laid, it laid bare the level of um, the level of greed and excess and the total lack of oversight of the last few years. And it is a debt that Irish football will be paying for years to come. And John Delaney, I think, is kind of going to be the man that I suppose most people will kind of focus their eye on and their attention on, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was the, he was the face of the FBI for many years. And uh, whenever there was good news, John Delaney was was front and centre. Uh, look, look back over press releases of any kind of... Um, infrastructure projects or anything like that, even from League of Ireland or Schoolboy or whatever, they would always um, uh, pay praise to John Delaney. So, and um, he's gone now. I mean, he's gone off with a settlement of four hundred and sixty-two thousand euro. The reason he was entitled to that was because in his contract renewal in t- two thousand and fourteen, which was due to expire in twenty twenty-one, the FAI centenary year, um, he had negotiated for himself an overall bonus package of three million euro. That's a €1 million euro loyalty payment and a two, and €2 million euro in deferred pension payment. So he, uh, that's the reason that the FAI had to cut a deal and had to pay him €462,000 just to deal with it all. Um, uh, the, F, the, the new board members have said, look, we didn't want to pay it. I mean, that's, it's a bad payment, but look, it's, it's the best, it's the best of um, a series of bad choices because otherwise they, would, they may have been liable for, for more than €2 million euro and you know they could risk their day in court, but who's to say that they would have won? Now you had tweeted yesterday, Gavin, that you, you'd hope that this is rock bottom. Um, the only way is up now, I guess. I mean, you'd hope so. I mean, pinpointing rock bottom is a kind of a, a curious kind of optimism in the sense that things can't get any worse. Now, I asked Paul Cook yesterday, is this rock bottom, rock bottom? And he said yes, that he thinks it is. But, like, I mean, I hope it is. But, I mean, the investigation by the Gardaí and the Office of, Office, Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement is ongoing. God knows what that will throw up. I mean, Paul Cook said, yes, I mean, look, that could lead to more liabilities and that could shock us further. But we're pretty sure that these accounts show the full, uh, the full state of the FAI at the moment and we can work on from there. Um, so things could, I mean, I, to be honest, I think things could yet get worse and they will get worse for the people who will lose their jobs. I and mean, there are people like really hardworking people at the FAI at the moment who are not on particularly good money, who are coming into Christmas now fretting for their future, um, and if not their future, future for the future of their colleagues. It, I, it's, I, it's really outrageous, and it's difficult to sum up. I mean, it, yesterday, there was just this blizzard of figure after figure after figure. Like, we, we were only given the accounts as the press conference was the beginning. So you had Paul Cook throwing these top-line figures 
um, and they're mostly a football journalist and a few news journalists. Like none, none of us are accountants really, but like every figure is just uh, figure after figure after figure, and it was just it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable day. Yeah, dark, dark day indeed. Gavin, we'll leave it there. Wasn't pleasant listening over the last ten minutes, but uh, thanks very much for indeed for coming on. No problem. Yeah, it was a pleasure having uh, Gavin Cooney of the Forty Two E on with us uh, to discuss. <laughs> I'm exasperated. I find it hard to, to to put into words how much of a hole the FBI is in and how it's gotten to this point. But Gavin did a good job of uh, explaining yesterday's press conference to us there. And I thank you. You can check Gavin out on the Forty Two IE. Uh, Half time at Old Trafford, Manchester United are leading Manchester are at Old Trafford at the Etihad. I do beg your pardon, and it is Manchester United leading City two 0 in the Manchester Derby at half time. Marcus Rashford's penalty going to go Gough Anthony Martial uh, putting the Red Devils ahead there against City, and uh, at half time in Tolman Park, Munster leading Saracens ten points to three uh, at the break. Uh, that uh, try coming from uh, Peter O'Mahony just after half an hour, uh, but Munster now have to play into the wind and rain in the second. half so it's going to be an interesting second half ahead against uh, the reigning European champions we're going to take a break when we come back we'll talk to Neil Horgan about uh, the situation at the FBI and uh, the relationship uh, with the uh, the League of Ireland over the last couple of years Neil's going to talk about his new book as well Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie Cork's Red FM all right, glad you could join us for the Big Red Bench on this Saturday evening halftime. The Under-21 Premier 1 Hurling Championship and uh, Black Rock leading Kilaitas at uh, 2-8 to 10 points. Halftime at Old Trafford. All right, to said it again. It's halftime at the Etihad Stadium. It's because Manchester United are winning again. I'm getting all confused. I understand it. City nail a United 2 at the break. City stunned from an excellent first 45 from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side. Edison had made three early saves before VAR awarded a United penalty for a foul on Rashford. He converted it. Rashford missed a great chance for a second before Martial slotted home on 28 minutes after good link-up play with James. City haven't forced Gea into any meaningful saves. United have defended well, but City did want a penalty right at the death of the first half for a potential handball against Fred. It's going to be an interesting second half. City nil, United 2. Certainly will be on at half-time at Thomond Park. Um, once leading Saracens 10-3. Also half-time Racing uh, 28-7 up away to Ospreys. Alright, for more on the FAI story, joined uh, by uh, Neil Horgan earlier on today uh, to discuss his new book primarily, but we also discussed uh, the FAI and the accounts from yesterday and the relationship the association has had uh, with the League of Ireland over the last couple of years. Neil's new book is called uh, The Crossroads, uh, Rise of the Rebel Army and Crisis at the FAI. I'm good, Rory. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much indeed for coming in. Um, writing the third book, was it easier than writing the first two? Yeah, um, I suppose so. I had the uh, format from the last two in terms of it being part diary, part interview. Um, and I obviously had the diaries kept from when I was playing um, kind of during the Tommy Dion era. Um, so it was just putting them together. I knew how to get the book out. Um, there was a little addition in terms of having a kind of uh, substantial go off the FAI, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which turns out to be a kind of... Um, prophetic. You know, prophetic <laughs> in some sense, yeah. I had always been kind of having a go off them, particularly in Second City, um, the second book, but then at the end, I suppose, there's a chapter there, it's FAI on the brink. Um, so the situation, I suppose, that occurred and has led up to yesterday or whatever, um, the recent debacle with the FAI, um, that kind of had to become part of the book as I, as I was finishing it. Mm. Um, I suppose it brings your career full circle, I guess, because it comes up to the end of your career, your playing career. Yeah, it does. Um, so, as I always get mocked about, um, I retired and then came back, <laughs> had a testimonial, um, took the funds and then came back, but um, <laughs> came back as an amateur, I suppose, which was different um, in many ways. And obviously... Um, primarily because you don't get paid. <laughs> so, but it was a lovely thing because the club had gone under. Well, the holding company had gone under. But we're looking back at two thousand and nine here. So, the fans took over the club, and and, and ultimately, it's, it's documenting that from my point of view. Because I think, you know, I think Forrest at some point will bring out a book um, from their point of view. But this was from my point of view as a player. Uh, coming back to kind of help them, and and um, it was a it was a different club as much as it was the same club. It, the, yeah. the fans now now ran it, um, so it was very interesting, and it was great. 
as we were talking about just before we came on um, that first season winning the first division was like you know a real highlight um, of my career and it, it was it was something I, I, I was delighted I had some diary yeah. there to, to talk about because it, it's such an amazing story that 2010-2011 period of like you, you almost go to the wall you go up to Derry City with 13 players for your first game then the next season you're promoted to the Premier Division it's, it's an incredible story yeah I think it is I think um, Tommy did a brilliant job I know uh, I make him across harsh and Tommy at times in this um, or it might seem like that but um, I think Tommy did a brilliant job um, in getting us promoted that year he was under a bit of pressure um, Roddy Collins was, was was after him a little bit uh, yeah. giving him stick um, in the media and he did a great job and it was to win it on the last day of the season uh, Graham Cummins goal at the last whatever two minutes mm. Uh, it was incredible and it was I think that moment will live long with a lot of people because it, it, like we'd, be, we'd come through so much the club the players the fans um, leading to the you know the demise and the being thrown out of the Premier Division to come back in that format was just something that was really really memorable yeah it certainly was there, there seemed to be a, a massive togetherness between the fans and the players at that point like everyone was all in it together now yeah, there was, and again, Tommy deserves credit. I'm, <laughs> I'm making <laughs> up for the book here, right, Tommy, yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> um, no, he does. Um, we we had a nice crew, like the the, the guys who came in that year. Um, uh, I hadn't played with Graham Cummins before that year. I know he was he he, I, he was there the year before. But I kind of came in very late. I think Billy Woods came in. This mm-hmm. was 2010. So the year we went up was 2011. Um, I think anyway is it? yeah I think it is yeah, it's yeah 2011 so the fours come back and they finished sixth I, I played a few games at the end of the season um, and it, it was kind of you know um, we had lost all our kind of full time pros really mm. so the likes of you know Dan Murray um, can't think who we had you know Pat Sullivan um, Mick Devine was gone um, all the midfield you know Joe Gamble um, who, who else used to play with us Liam Kearney <laughs> we had none of these players anymore yeah. so we were kind of um, uh, guys who were part time or some who had stayed um, Greg O'Halloran was an important player Killian Lorden was an important player for us um, and Graham Cummins and we had a few quality players who came in who made the difference really like Davin O'Neill and Vinnie Sullivan um, were just had that little bit of class uh, particularly for the first division mm. that, that allowed us to get through also, Danny Murphy coming back was a big was yeah. a big thing, and I, I actually I think I I document that a bit in the book about the full backs and the relationship between <laughs> full backs because I'd be different to, to to Danny in terms of I'd have been at certainly at this point in my career I'd been conservative. You didn't really cross the halfway line. Didn't cross him. No legs were gone. <laughs> legs were gone. Um, but Danny was Danny is a few years on me. He must be you know he might have been twenty six at this yeah. point. So he was in the peak of his career at this time. <laughs> um, but it was great to see Danny coming back because then straight away I knew my side of the pitch uh, mm. I, could, I could talk across to him and we could manage what, what was in between us um, so it was, we got a great group together um, trying to think of the other players there now in in the middle of the park Shane Duggan was a very good player Grown Morrissey um, starts to feature time, yeah. yeah so it's a new like some of this is is, is was guys who, who would end up becoming part of the, the double winning team under John mm. Caulfield so that, that, that's a lovely part of that also we had Nulty and Goal who started to become you know mm, and Greg O'Halloran as well and Greg um, Greg was outstanding uh, he was the captain actually so Greg could play centre back midfield right back left back as always and, and a great character to have mm. around and luckily enough we had enough guys kind of I think who had enough experience to, to bring us up mm. that year because um, Shells were decent Shells had a good team as well and they thought they'd won it really so far ahead yeah, I don't know how far ahead they were like 10, 15 points yeah. ahead at one point and we were under pressure because like, you know, um, Roddy Collins was saying like and did say in the paper like that you should have left me in the job and mm. this was um, Tommy Dunn is, is you know, he's, he's not enough of a man to have taken it. He's a boy doing a man's job, <laughs> I think was his quote like. So he was managing Monaghan, uh, Roddy Collins and they were they were putting money into Monaghan at the time before they went out of existence. Yeah. Um, so um, there was a lot of pressure and, and luckily it paid off uh, in terms of uh, going up that year and the rest is history, as they say. It certainly is. Do you enjoy like reflecting on this time when you're writing it? I do. I do. I, I love documenting it um, because I think 
apart from the fans, I think the players who were involved in it uh, appreciated it a lot, you know, as well. Um, it's it's nice to bring back memories. I was going to talk to someone today, actually, um, who was telling me they had forgotten about the issues we had kind of with force at the start. There was a, there was a bonus issue. Yeah. Uh, as if, you know, so it, it's, it's good to remember things in, in their order. Um, and then I, I do enjoy then putting that all out together. It kind of it kind of helps mm. me to kind of frame it because I have a terrible memory. Yeah, well, it was one of the reasons. Um, but yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed all three books, you know. And this one, this one, as I said, takes a different slant towards the FAI towards mm. the end, which I think rounds it up nicely because ultimately the League of Ireland has been in a negligent state or has been in a sorry, a, you know, a low state, a, a state of poverty as such, and. The FAI have done nothing about it over you know a hundred years. We, we were saying this the last yeah. two books I was in here, Rory, doing with you, and now you know there's no great triumph in finding out that the FAI were you know acting very you know scandalously as it turns out, mm. but in fact they were like while we were going under, the the FAI were paying out large amounts of money to their CEO, which you can't you can't stand over, you know. No, were you surprised when you when you kind of read the papers today and then look at the summaries from yesterday? Um, I, I think there's an element of surprise with the, and I think everyone is kind of everyone's in the same boat to a degree here with the, with the level of the debt. But on the other hand, there's no surprise in, in another way as well. You know, um, I think I suppose there's been a lead up to the accounts being revealed, and you know, people are kind of knew they were going to be bad, and I think a few of them had said uh, that they're going to be worse than you think. But um, I think there's more information to be you know taken from it where exactly there's there's a few details missing about for example what kind of money was going to leave Ireland mm-hmm. um, and what role if any the leave Ireland played in all of this mm-hmm. you know so I think there's a lot of kind of viewing to be done by other people yeah. um, before we find out, you know, the, the scale. Because, like, figures is one thing, but details is another, and I think we're, there's a bit of detail mm. lacking. And still. it's obviously going to have a massive knock-on negative effect for Irish football for, for years, maybe decades to come now. Yeah, I think it will. I think it will. I mean, they're talking about the um, the Aviva mortgage being going out to 2036 or something mm. like that. Um, so, like, this was something... I was supposed to be paid off next year. We yeah, heard. and even like that, I was never happy with that myself. Like you know, I I I, I don't want to be double guessing everything the FAI did in retrospect and whatever. But from my own point of view, they were they were using the Aviva as a reason that um, they couldn't put money into the League of Ireland, mm-hmm. and, and like whether that was legitimate or not, I don't think it was a good decision for something that ultimately they weren't going to end up owning either. Mm. Like they were just leasing it. Um, it yes. was one of the reasons I put the Aviva on the front of my cover, actually. Yeah, it's a great uh, company. Thanks, Rory. Because I, I did think that. Um, well, some people said to me at the start, "You kind of, you kind of throw covers at people and say, what, what do you think?" Mm. And they were like, "Well, um, is it about the FAI?" And I was like, "Yeah, it, mm. it actually is. You know, it actually is under, underneath all of this. Or all our problems was like something consistent that I've said throughout the books is that there's been a lack of um, a total lack of belief." in Irish domestic football by the FAI and a lack of planning for it and I think instead of that they wanted to plan this stadium um, which you know it's a nice stadium and you know it, it, it Lansdowne did need a, a, yeah. an, an upgrade but I wouldn't have sacrificed domestic football for it like no. which I think is what they did yeah but I mean like we always I suppose say that as League of Ireland fans of the FBI, it's easy to say the FBI don't care about the League of Ireland. But yeah. It's certainly looking that way. Yeah, I mean, how can you stand over what the, the accounts are now? Um, the three million mm-hmm. payment that they were going to make to John Delaney. Um, I mean, he's CEO of, of, the, of the FBI, but, you know... It's something I, I go into a bit in the in the afterword of the book, and it's about the approach the FAI have kind of taken. And I don't think, uh, to be fair to them, I don't think it, happened, it started with John Delaney. Mm-hmm. It, it, this, this happened at some point where they just decided they were the cream of the crop in Irish football circles, along with the national team, and everyone else was below them. Mm-hmm. And I think whenever that happened, um, they've they've never gone away from that. It's got worse. Like it seemed like John Delaney was the you know. 
president elect extraordinaire yeah. of the FAI. He's a celebrity more than a a celebrity. You no, know, uh, you know, and and I think that 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 occurred be, over a long period of time and got worse. And I think it's been a really unhealthy thing to happen to Irish football. And unfortunately, they didn't have enough moral kind of code or they didn't have enough knowledge of their duties and responsibilities to the game and how the game was crying out for assistance from the top if they deemed themselves the top yeah. and they, they didn't provide it instead it looks like they're you know filling their own pockets that's what it looks like and getting Irish football into this mess mm. and, and that's I mean that's it's heartbreaking as a football it's, fan it's disgusting um, and it's hard to get away from that you know Um no, it's not, and, and I, I would be first to say it's, it's, this isn't just a John Delaney problem. This is an FAI problem, mm-hmm. and it, you know, this is where, what the question inevitably leads on to is: what's next for the FAI? And I suppose one way of looking at this is, is if Delaney's gone, you know, we can get on with things, kind of. But I, I don't know about that. It's 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 really it's really on the brink. Yeah. I think it's really on the brink. It's there's a real question there now whether it's salvageable at all. You know. Mm. Um, there is I was only looking it up today I think there is a precedent with the uh, Swimming Ireland and I think it used to be called Amateur Swimming Ireland before I think they had um, kind of sexual abuse uh, massive scandal and they re-emerged as Irish swimming or whatever I think I, you could see it happening because uh, you know people are talking about if you were a commercial entity why would you be getting involved with the FAI mm. um, in this context and it's it's a very real issue. It's a very it's, so. No, all that being said, there's lots of people working in the FBI who are very good, and nobody wants people losing their jobs, particularly when they're very good, and that's very true. Um, so hopefully it can be salvaged, but it's it's a question mark at this point. Yeah, it's uh, run. Uh, a precipice, I think. Mm-hmm. Go one way or the other. Yeah. Crossroads, I'd call Cross- it. Right? Crossroads. <laughs> Which brings us back nicely, Neil, to your book, uh, The Crossroads Rise of the Rebel Army and Crisis at the FBI, available on Amazon and it's available at the Cork City Shop in Manhattan. Yeah, it is. Um, so I think, particularly fans of the earlier books, w- will really like it. I think it rounds off the three. And from my point of view, it kind of takes on the FBI a little bit further than it had before, just because the material was available. Um, like the revelations over the last few years um, so the timeline for, for your listeners where we ha- I have three diaries um, seasons I suppose under Tommy Dunn we go up for two years in the Premier Division John Caulfield comes in then at that point and um, I'm kind of at the end of my I was at the end of it <laughs> three years before that but I'm at the very end and I, you know I helped John to some extent uh, come in and it's great to see him do so well yeah <coughs> So there's an interview with John Caulfield which kind of goes over his period of success and kind of brings us that and other document or other kind of reports brings us right up to date mm-hmm. with um, the current of, current uh, events in the FAI and, and actually it ends at the AGM at the FAI where they were looking for a cultural change. Um, but I, I think like some of this, the, 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 the horse is bolted now. You'll have to write an epilogue, I think, after, <laughs> yeah. after yesterday, will you? Yeah, I'll have to, uh, an epilogue to Tommy Dunn to <laughs> apologise if, if he comes out. You were telling me, you you read it and you felt that uh, like, uh, Neil like, doesn't get on with Tommy. Neil like Tommy. I do like Tommy, I want to put that on record. <laughs> I just probably was going through a stressful, <laughs> a stressful time. Yeah. And, and I, that that's uh, yeah. nice, actually, sometimes. Yeah. You look back to the diary and you... Uh, you kind of identify oh you were under stress there because <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to we were trying to win the league and actually Tommy was kind of a friend of mine mm. as, at that point because I was an amateur so yeah. you know if you're an amateur player I, not I was doing him a favour but you didn't need it yeah I could walk away yeah, yeah. like in this people might note that I, I went to a, a wedding there was a, one of my best friend's weddings and I, I was like look Tommy th- these are the conditions like you know I have to I'm coming back under my own terms as such and I'm happy to play for you then so then that meant, you know, myself and Tommy's relationship was different to the other players, essentially, most some of the time. And uh, so that meant, uh, the other side to that is like, you're, you almost felt part of his management team. Mm-hmm. So I, I was stressed when he was stressed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I think, and look, Tommy did a brilliant job and um, it'd be nice to see him back in Irish football. I think he's in Finland at the Finland, moment. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, nice yeah, and I think it is. I think it, it, um, a few people in this uh, Graham Commons in particular mm. um, credits Tommy massively with the, mm. the coming back in the first division. Yeah, um, and look, like from a Cork City point of view, because that's the thing with this book, it kind of deals with both the FA and Cork City. But from a Cork City point of view, um, it could, it, we we might be in the position where we are now. I know there's you know there's some controversy recently, you know, about um, a payment uh, in respect of a VAT or whatever. Mm. But it looks it looks very small scale compared to yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, problems we've been in before. It looked like an, an innocent error from yeah. what I'm reading, anyway. And um, in any event, um, we might if we didn't go up that year in the first division, and and if we didn't have John Crawford afterwards as well, mm. we we mightn't like the club was really in in, in dire straits. You remember, it, right? yeah, I do. And like oh, I know it's hard to be thankful for something when you kind of you know we were used to it again, and we want like we had a bad season last year at Cork City. And you know we want them back up again with Neil Fenn and Joe Gamble coming in, but you know I think the context is we're very lucky to have a team back up in the Premier Division. <coughs> Excuse me, and it's very exciting um, to see Neil Fenn and Joe Gamble see what they can put together next year. You know, really. And if you that. want an insight into Joe Gamble, um, <laughs> I would Sorry, recommend the Second no, City. So <laughs> <laughs> Neil, it's been a pleasure having you, in, man. Looking forward to book four now, whenever that will be. <laughs> Thanks, Tori. Thanks, Colin. Thanks. Yeah, always great to have our good friend Neil Horgan in on the Big Red Bench on Cork. Sort of, um, uh, it's the third time he's been in to talk about his uh, books now, and uh, always, uh, always welcome. Great to have Neil's uh, thoughts there. Um, on the FBI and the relationship, I suppose, to the League of Ireland, the lack of a relationship, more to the point, over over the years, and uh, this is the current situation the association finds itself in. And of course, uh, great to talk to Neil about his book, and it's a, a very, very, very good read indeed. Uh, talking about uh, the latter part of his uh, Cork City career, um, the uh, 2010-2011 campaigns. And uh, in particular, were of uh, great interest, and in the, the 2011 one in particular, when Cork City uh, won the, the first division title on that dramatic night uh, away to Shelburne. Uh, fantastic stuff indeed. Uh, so, well worth checking out Neil's book available on Amazon. You can get it at uh, the Cork City Club shop in uh, Man Point as well. Manchester United still 2 0 up away to Manchester City. There's now 61 minutes gone on the clock at the Etihad Stadium. And in rugby, Munster still 10-3 up on Saracens. That's the latest score from there. Right, uh, before we uh, round off the show, the John Reardon podcast continues on redextra.ie and wherever you can get uh, your podcasts from. Really, really good stuff on there recently. Uh, we had uh, Lord Delaney and Ed Joyce of the Ireland women's cricket team on in the last couple of weeks be sure and check out redextra.e for more on the Joanna Reardon podcast but in the latest episode Joanna has been talking to Irish rugby uh, international lad Jenny Murphy really really good listen the first part was uh, released yesterday and uh, here's a little taste of uh, what you can expect played for Ireland since nearly 2012 but like the start of your career was really funny like when you got signed up and you hit your first tackle and the ref made you apologise what what happened there like you know um, it's kind of weird in rugby you're forced to apologise for doing something you're supposed to do yeah it was that was um, I was living over in London and had um, had started playing with Teddington Antlers um, and then got kind of uh, there was a premiership team nearby Richmond and I went to join them and from there, they their coach at the time was the Scottish national coach. Um, I, I must have got seen playing because um, so I was playing second row and loose and in the flanks. Um, and I got a call up to go across to um, to Ireland to play against Ireland, just as part of Irish exiles. It kind of worked out that way. Um, we got absolutely hockeyed <laughs> in Johnstown House. It was I was playing at fullback. It was my maybe my second or third game playing in the back, so I was pretty clueless. Um, and I tackled um, one of the girls, uh, Nikki Nikki Cocky, hit her. And I like I don't I can't remember now if it was high or not, but she went out over the um, sideline and. Uh, yeah, the ref kind of went up to me, made me apologise to her while she was on the ground. And the head coach of Ireland at the time, Philip Doyle, um, Goose, was livid, absolutely livid. And I, I thought that it was me. He was her. angry, and I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, she, like, she got up fine, I think. Um, but uh, she, yeah, he was he was pretty pissed off and that's fine I kind of was like oh god was worried about it she didn't she didn't come back on playing and I was a bit like oh she okay and I was like well that's my chances of ever playing for Ireland 
down the Swanee. <laughs> um, and then it turns out later that he was just really mad at the ref for, you know, me doing my job and doing it well. Um, so yeah, it was, that was my first meeting with Goose, the terrifying, lovely man. So yeah, it was, and then when I did get a call up after that, so they were, I got a call up to the Irish squad after that training game and obviously I got roomed with Nikki Cocky, which was great as well. So yeah, it was nice. Good banter. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't like, you were like, you were maybe like dabbling in rugby, but you weren't really kind of into a property until you were like 19. You were playing kind of other sports, weren't you? Like your GA and you had other sports behind you. Do you think that helped you? in like your rugby career or do you think like oh I just wanted to try everything were you like one of those hyperactive children where your mom was like go I, I, I was really easy to buy presents for it was just like get her football or football boots or a Man United jersey and she will be happy I'll be happy out so no I didn't I just didn't know there was a women's rugby team genuinely uh, I would watch a little bit of it but not have a vague understanding of the rules but Gaelic and soccer like football would be the, the main sports that I would have played and then when I went across to the UK to study I was playing you know with the Gaelic team and the soccer team over there and saw the saw the college team train and they were training in the mornings at something like seven or eight o'clock before lectures and then they were training at night time as well like a few days so it, was only, it wasn't loads but I was like oh I've got a bit of time I think it would help it my game intense though yeah it was it was just it looked difficult it looked physically demanding and they were probably the parts of Gaelic that I would have been good at yeah um so I was like, oh, I'll give this a crack. It'll it'll help my Gaelic football. It'll help my soccer. And the first training session I went to, I fell in love with it. I absolutely loved it. I was like, oh, I'm able to absolutely whack someone. I'm able to hand off somebody. <laughs> I'm able to do all these things that are normally like, well, get me arrested or get me a card on the pitch. Um, and from then, I think from that session, I was like, oh, this is something that I want to get good at. Now, I still hadn't a clue and things snowballed really quickly for me in terms of, you know, playing college then playing with the the local Teddington team yeah. and then from there moving to Richmond and then getting a chance at playing with Ireland so but it was yeah, it was pretty good I'm like there was just you didn't know the sports the, the women's rugby team was here the first time I knew that there was an Irish women's rugby team there was a World Cup in 2010 in England yeah. I randomly went to the third fourth playoff I think it was Australia France and I saw a little green tracksuits and I was like oh there's a women's team yeah it's uh, Jenny Murphy there speaking on the Joanna Reardon podcast which is available on redextra.ie well worth checking out you can uh, tune into that uh, on redextra.ie and wherever you get your podcast from as well just going to get you up to date on some scores Munster still leading Saracens 10 points to 3 at Thoman Park in the Premier under 21 earning championship Blackrock leading Killa Itas 310 to 11 points and uh, Man City certainly knocking on the door here at the Etihad still yet to find a way past uh, the United rearguard and David De Gea more uh, specifically Manchester City nil, Manchester United 2 is how it stands there 67 minutes gone on the clock at the Etihad alright that's it from us thank you very much for tuning our way on this Saturday evening on the Big Red Bench Stevie's up next shortly with the Block Party 3 hours of the best the freshest latest music coming your way right here on Corkshire FM we're back tomorrow evening from 6pm enjoy the rest of your night and you can get our podcast redextra.e and wherever you get your podcasts from Enjoy the rest of your Saturday night, folks. We'll speak to you tomorrow at 6 p.m. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.